I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Gosh, the, the, the market's good, so you got all these people with a GC degree that used to be a gardener. You know <laughs> yeah. I mean? It's the efficiency gains that make this a viable option. If something goes wrong, we are screwed. So this company is growing to be like the Amazon of builders. The pre-made and pre-cut cookies that you just throw in the oven and... That's more my style. (laughs) The building industry has long been reluctant to change. When things are going well, developers and builders have had no incentive to rock the boat. But now... Post-recession... A shift in society and culture has ushered in a tidal wave of change in the industry, and there's no going back. Welcome to Spaces, where we explore and analyze how the building industry is evolving, from design and construction to management and economics. Join hosts Jason, Ali, and Demetrius as they discuss the evolution of your spaces. Hello, welcome to Spaces. I'm your host Demetrius and I'm here with co-hosts Ali and Jason. On today's episode, we're discussing the concepts of off-site, modular, and prefabricated construction. But first, each episode we want to start the show and begin with a market update, which Ali will lead us in. And one thing I really want to talk about is the huge news that Lennar, one of the nation's largest home builders, acquired Cal Atlantic which I think is number four. It's two and four. Two and four to, to now make the largest builder in the nation. 
So, Allie, what are you seeing in here? Yeah, so when that news came out, I don't know about you guys, but I read the article and I had, I had to do a double take. Yeah. Like, is that real? Yeah. Like, really? Even after there was that acquisition the when Stan Pack and Ryland right. went right. together, yeah. and then Lennar's already acquired WCI in Florida. Mm. So this company is growing to be like the Amazon of builders. Yeah. They're acquiring and acquiring all these different, um, different firms, but... What we're seeing is it's kind of, you look at the management teams of both companies, it's kind of the best of both worlds. You yeah. have some of them that are more financial savvy and some that are more design savvy, and now you put them together and put them in a room. And yeah. I think it could be really interesting. Um, we don't know which direction with the everything included, which is Lennar's platform. We don't know if mm. Cal Atlantic will, with some of their projects that are in place, if they're going to change their position or if they'll run through as is. Um, yeah, there's there's tons of questions with this because... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like you said, there there are two different kind of styles of of building. Yeah. Who's gonna kind of lead uh, where they go forward? What what parts are they gonna adopt or or keep going? Or are they just gonna get rid of the way that one does one thing or the the other? It's it's super interesting for well, I mean, I architecture. Think, I think if you look at it though, if you're going from two and four to obviously ultimately the nation's largest builder you're going to look for some, you know, simplicity mm. all the way through because you're absorbing, you know, just the, just the idea of the acquisition and absorbing the companies together is, is complex in its own nature. So you're going to look to simplify. Now I can't necessarily see them shutting down the option side and everything that Cal Atlantic does quite well. Um, if, you know, Lenar's obviously going to take over um, and get rid of it just on the whole, I would imagine they'd finish out or phase break somewhere and restart if they're going to do that. But I got to imagine the, sim- the simplistic style that Lennar has, especially when you become the nation's largest, you're going to try to streamline as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of their mantra anyways. So I don't know why they would ever look to do something a little bit different than that. And who knows? I mean, we really don't know. There's probably going to be more that comes out of that. Obviously, Lennar's you know, uh, year end is this month. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot going on with them looking at strategy on that at the moment, at least from the, the levels that we would see. Um, but I think in December and January, you'll start to hear a lot more of that stuff. And they're a heck of a marketing machine. Yeah. Which I mean, was peculiar because Cal Atlantic released their earnings for the most recent quarter and they actually were down almost across the board so it was an interesting Hmm. not that one quarter represents their play but it was just an interesting timing that they chose not to do their earnings call and whether that was actually because of the merger or not we don't know um i also thought it was an interesting pr stint how they called it a merger versus an acquisition oh did they call it merger yeah but when you look at it it says lenar will acquire the shares so it was i don't know if that was just for people that were working at Atlantic a bit. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the notices that we received, you know, on the trade side was, you know, it was a merger. Um, I won't say which company that came from saying it was a merger, <laughs> um, but I think that's more just kind of a positioning, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, as opposed to the reality. Yeah. Um, the reality is it's an acquisition mm-hmm. and, you know, Big Brother basically bought out Little Brother in that regard. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. There's a ton of questions, I mean, on, yeah. on every side on, on what that's going to look like, timing, response. And there's there's a ton of overlap now, um, you know, if you look at specific regions, because they, I mean, they all had their own work that they were doing, um, but they were competing against each other. Right. So when, when you're both uh, competing for the same groups, um, you no longer need that as many people. So does 
that brings up the question of will there be a ton of layoffs now and yeah and you know it's kind of funny i don't know if you guys had it at all but we do we do work with both of them and that that monday morning at about six o'clock my phone started going nuts yeah. with people from both sides i yeah. mean literally just like what do you know yeah and i'm like i don't work for either <laughs> one of these companies you know what i mean but i think from um what the inner workings are and what they tend to do people are trying to ask and i was like i'm punt like I, I don't even know where to go with this guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was one of those type of deals, but there's a lot of unnerving because I, I don't care what it is. You're looking for efficiency and scale and there's some, it's usually middle management that, that tends to strike a problem. I mean, at these levels too, it's, you know, when you look at middle management, you're talking divisional presidents and, and things of that nature that, that probably gets a little scary, but you know, it, there has to be some absorption. And when there's some absorption, you know, you're, there unfortunately will be some people that, you know, that's, there's too much redundancy. Yeah. But I wonder how bad that will be. So we talk about labor shortages in the industry and we talk about it on two ends. So you talk about the mm-hmm. people that are actually out there building the homes, but you also talk about the corporate level yeah. employee and mm-hmm. we're hearing shortages on both ends and For there's sure. so much of that missed middle manager that yeah. a lot of people are like, we want those people that have 10 years of experience and we don't have them. So yeah. I wonder if they, I don't, I don't know if it's a middle man. I don't think, I'm not so sure that's middle management. You know what I mean? When I talk middle management, like how many VPs of purchasing and that type of stuff are you really going to have? Yeah. You need more so directors of purchasing and, you know, contract admin and things of that nature that that do the physical task-oriented work. You know what I mean? Not necessarily um, strategizing and, and looking how you're going to buy different things from that regard. You know, same thing with field. You know, the, any of the gentlemen that are running or ladies that are, gen, that are, that are running job sites in the field – that job still needs to go so that that CM and that assistant CM are probably good. They'll ultimately, I think, look at ratios, right? So if one company's heavy in ratio and field help to another, they might decide what's better or not and, and see where that goes to. Um, but I generally think it's the ones that are outside of the task oriented work. That's where you start to look at it and say, where are you heavy and what's redundant? Yeah. But even if they get laid off, I'm just saying with the shortage, I think they'd land be able to find yeah, it job. wouldn't be as bad as, I mean, clearly it's not the same as like a recession situation. Sure. Yeah. So there's still jobs that are needed. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. There may be some people that, that need to kind of, you know, swallow that, that, that pride pill a little mm-hmm. bit and, and do something a little bit different. Um, there definitely be a, a lot of shuffling around and, you yeah. know, moving. It's going to be different. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, it really is because just like we were saying before, it's such a different platform on how the two of them operate their business. Um, so I, and you know, I'm excited to see it cause it is evolvement. You know what I mean? In some regard. And it's also concerning uh, as well when you when you look at, you know, these two mega mm-hmm. companies coming together. That's a lot of eggs in one basket. Yeah. <laughs> if something goes wrong, we are screwed is kind of the feeling that I got. Really? Yeah. I, that, that was kind of one of the gut reactions that I got was that's, that's a lot of land. That's a lot of... Um, construction all under one roof i hadn't thought of it that way actually that makes sense what you're saying you know i wasn't so worried about it from that perspective i was actually looking for the little guys Mm. you know what i mean like your private builders and stuff who i think have have had and we've got a lot of relationships with with some you know mid and smaller private private builders yeah and and they 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 will tell you and i know ali you probably hear it the struggles they have and trying to make deals work when they're going against these, you know, big machines. Yeah. Cause they and have the public backing. They got and- the public backing. They got the cash. It's hard for these guys to get the funding and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I mean, what are they going to be relegated to five and eight home 
projects because yep. you even still have some of the, you know, like Horton, I know was doing some infill stuff and like yeah, small infill. Yeah. That's what it comes down to is, you know what I mean? Scraps that are left. Yeah. For infill so projects. what are they going to do? I mean, do you almost flip it to just custom, but most people aren't doing custom either and you don't really want to do that. And gosh, the, the, the market's good. So you got all these people with a GC degree that used to be a gardener, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean? Um, so you're, you're kind of worried about that, but I, I'm more so wondering what that landscape's going to look like. What is the, hmm. what is the variability of product going to actually be yeah because you know you're eliminating a lot of that competition stylistically it's interesting too if you look at some of the different builders that they held good land positions and then they'll have a foreign entity so we've done a lot of research on my company's done a lot of research on the japanese coming in and they Mm. have financing options that match what Mm. mega companies mega publics can do so does that change the landscape of who then finances the hmm. deals going forward. I, so like again, a land sea situation more so? Or? Uh, so I'm thinking Stanley Martin Homes in D.C. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones. It's it's it's, it's an interesting topic uh, that, that we're we're all going to be, you know, affected by and, and following as we move forward. But um, uh, we did, I mean, you have to mention it. <laughs> it just, just happened recently. So is there anything else um, market-wise that, that, that's going on that's uh, kind of standing out to you, Ali? Yeah, and so one of the reasons we wanted to have our our first big show be about different kind of solutions to housing affordability goes back to everything that we're seeing across the board. So commodity prices are up. If you compare where commodity prices are compared to last year, I think lumber is up about 20%. Mm-hmm. If you compare it to the previous peak, lumber is actually not as high from the previous peak, but other commodity prices, if you look at gym summer, plywood, it's just crazy. And so builders are faced with those challenges. We hinted on challenges with the workforce, um, land prices. Yeah. We know that land prices are crazy. And wages, while I do think that they're at this point of the economy, they are starting to show that there's some growth. That's after seven to eight years of pretty much stagnation. stagnation. Yeah. And so we're seeing this huge divergence between what people can afford and what's being supplied. And how do you address that? And I think that's what we're going to at least chat about today. Yeah. So modular prefab and offsite construction are techniques that can solve a lot of the issues you've mentioned, Ali. These are concepts of planning and constructing a building or fabricating components in a controlled environment like a factory, then shipping those components to, to the site for field assembly, similar to an erector set or Legos. This ultimately negates the need for improving in the field and minimizes the errors. Actually, factory prep can be done at different levels, either just framing the, the building, or you can build uh, fully panelized walls where the structural framing is in, electrical and plumbing lines are run, insulation, glazing, waterproofing are all installed. Similarly, modular construction is the use of repetitive units um, that are set on a grid system based on some specific item or need. As a history lesson, one of the first major feats of this technology of modular design and construction was the Crystal Palace. It was built in Hyde Park, London for the Great Exhibition of 1851. It was a cast iron and plate glass structure that was 990,000 square feet. It had a height of 128 feet It was three times the size of St. Paul's Cathedral. The building design was based on the panes of glass that they were able to get at that time, which led to the grid system of 24 by 24 feet module. 
and that module spread both horizontally and vertically. Um, the invention of that cast plate glass method made it possible to create this structure with the greatest area of glass ever seen. This design at the time was so so far outside of the box because typically it was all brick design with very little glass. Um, having natural light wasn't that great of a concern. But this, this building opened the door to a lot of uh, future development and creation of uh, the skyscrapers because of the use of the cast iron. Uh, it opened it, everyone's eyes to something, a different type of construction glass curtain walls and the modular design led to the case study homes which were locally um, or regionally in Southern California a big statement to to home design uh, this was a competition or experiment that was started by the arts and architecture magazine they commissioned these architects to design uh, homes that were completely different from the normal construction. Uh, this was during the post-World War II, so they wanted to have a experiment with a home design that could house a lot of people quickly. Uh, they didn't put any restrictions uh, on these architects. They had some adherence to normal building code, but they didn't have the restrictions of, of our typical zoning codes or anything like that front that would that would tie the hands of the architects they just wanted them to use new fresh materials new concepts and really push the envelope as far as home design they produced this letter that was published in a in a newspaper i'll read a couple passages from the announcement the editor writes each architect takes upon himself the responsibility of designing a house which would under all ordinary conditions be subject to the usual and sometimes regrettable building restrictions. The house must be capable of duplication and in no sense be an individual performance. The editor continues later in the announcement, Perhaps we will cling longest to the symbol of house as we known it, or perhaps we will realize that in accommodating ourselves to a new world, the most important step in avoiding retrogression into the old is a willingness to understand and to accept contemporary ideas in the creation of environment that is responsible for shaping the largest part of our living and thinking. A good result of all this then would among other things be a practical point of view based on available facts that can lead to a measurement of the average man's living standard in terms of the house he will be able to build with when restrictions are lifted. It's really interesting and amazing to read this passage from this announcement back in the uh, 1940s um, and, and see kind of how applicable it is to today. We have these outdated zoning codes, these restrictions of, of extremely uh, tight budgets in, in order to cr increase profit margins and a lot of things that, that really tie, tie down the ability to innovate in our industry and if we were just willing to let some of these things go we can create solutions for for these issues of of time money material and labor 
um, if we just had the opportunity to to do these things and explore different concepts and designs. Can we first address the idea that there's two different ways that you can look at this? And so one is what you were talking about is you create one design and you replicate that again and again and again as it is. Um, there's no design element. It's just kind of what you would imagine if you think a modular home. Yeah. The other side of that is companies that offer... Uh, one company calls it fully integrated offsite solutions. And yeah. so what they do is you can pull up where I grew up in the Midwest, you have these grand, huge homes that are beautiful and have all this this design with them. Um, you can create that house as well as you can create a contemporary looking mm-hmm. house or you can create a box. So it's not just a lot of people, the first thing they jump to is this box ugly yeah. home and that's not it. And I think a lot of that came from historically when, when they one of the, when they kind of first took on modular construction for homes, in a lot of cases, it was, um, you know, post-war housing, a lot of people that were displaced or a lot of different situations. But these were, you know, quick and dirty, just throw it up and, and get it done just to you know, get some way, get some places for people to right. go. Um, and it, it honestly did look terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, but that's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, it's, you're trying to take care of a situation in, in a very short amount of time. So, yeah, it's not going to look gorgeous, but that mindset that that stigma kind of stuck with modular Mm -hmm. design everybody thought that's what you did um and in some part there there was a little bit of truth because there was some limitation on what you could do you had to be willing to put in the time and money to you know to make it look good um but but with technology advancements in technology you have the ability to to kind of make it gorgeous to to do all different types of architectural styles and you know yeah and what i've heard too is a lot of the builders instead of outsourcing the idea that someone else could help you build those homes a lot of builders said well i can do this in-house i'll just create my own factory and i'll just do this and what you miss out is when you don't at least have expertise you kind of go through and you make those ugly homes and you know you can do it efficiently but you can't build it to the custom preferences of the buyer. Yeah. Well, I mean, ideally you see that in any industry. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, you know, Demetrius, from an architect standpoint, it goes as a drawing, then it goes to an engineer and an yeah. engineer comes back to you and is like, this doesn't work. And yeah. Like, no, make it work. And you have this thing that goes back and forth, right? So in any industry, that's the case. And I think what it's going to take in order to make it a bit more feasible, because we can probably talk about the objections to it, is you're going to have to have somebody that's going to go through it and prove concept. This yeah. can be done. And then somebody else is going to have to have, and here's key, right? An open mind to be able to say, I like that look. I like that style. I like the efficiency that comes with that. Cause let's be honest, we're rolling trusses to job sites already, which, yeah. is, which is primarily, you know, <laughs> pre-assembling homes to a certain degree and have somebody that's willing to say, okay, can we try this? Can we try that? And everybody be able to work within the same concept and idea and play nice in the sandbox. And right now that's not really happening here stateside so much. Um, You know, we're pretty behind the curve as far as that goes. And while you've had some, some uh, interactions with some other companies that have been very successful with that. Um, But it's got to move that way because we can't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I'll be honest with you when we talk, here's the other thing you talk about labor shortage that's just one part of it. I yeah. think when you look at it from a labor shortage standpoint, the skilled labor is not there either. Mm-hmm. So you you're basically taking as many people as you can find trying to fill holes and, and put it, you know, looking at it as hands as opposed to how many of these guys really know what they're doing. You know what I mean? And hopefully you have the right supervision and such to help with that. Mm-hmm. But I don't care what anybody says, the best products come out of a factory. You know what yeah. I mean? And if it's a yeah. well-oiled machine and it's factory built, 
your 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 potential to have less issues mm-hmm. and less um, ha- have less people making decisions that you probably don't want making decisions. <laughs> yeah. You know, the better off everybody might be. You know, but but it's a little closed minded at the moment. And there's a lot more control. You, you you're not held up by weather or yeah. um, things like that. Uh, you, you're in the same position doing the same thing, and you have some repetitiveness to it. Uh, in a controlled environment, you're not standing under the beating sun. Just it's it's a m- much more comfortable environment that that people will be willing to do as opposed to being out in the field. And what you both hit on, we're kind of dancing around the fact that it's the efficiency gains that make this a viable option. It's not that a lot of these companies can necessarily provide a cheaper home because you still have to work through, there's still the upfront costs, but what we're seeing is if you can get the home to market 10 days sooner, there are all of those, with your financing costs, there are different gains that come with the fact that you can build it quicker. So... I think a lot of people say, well, it's automatically going to be more affordable, and that's not always the case. Right. Um, and that's something that we probably should address too because it's not just – it's not necessarily an affordability thing. Like you said, when it's built in a factory, it's going to be better too. So it's quality and, in theory, price. Yeah. And, and obviously the thing with that, like you can have things that are built in a factory and struggle. I mean it depends on the type of management you put behind anything, right? Let's Let's be honest. Um, but I know from some of the stuff that I'm involved in, when we took the, the potential for hands to do the work as opposed to machines that you do with tolerances and maintenance on, um, the overall product is not even comparable. You know, unfortunately, truly, and I do mean unfortunately, um, because you don't want to necessarily replace jobs. That's not the point. Um, but you may be able to provide more and give those individuals a better opportunity um, to become more and more skilled and work in those situations, which ultimately means too they could have a long, you know, a longer career because they're not doing everything physically anymore at this point. So there is a lot to be gained from that. I think too what you could do with and what what we deal with a lot in the industry right now is inspection issues and those types of things. Well, you could eliminate a lot of that. Maybe you have you know there's different ways to look at it. Can you get a city inspector or something like that to to go okay with the process and have checkpoints along the way, much like you like like quality control. You know what I mean? There may be ways to do that where you look at, you know, and there's a couple that you probably touch on, but, you know, the wiring and the plumbing and everything that's going through some of these walls that we're building and saying, yep, everything checks. You check one out of 10 or whatever the deal is, because if it is machine built, just like you would do in any assembly factory, you're not looking at every single part. You're, you're randomly checking for quality issues and things like that. So, you know, I think, I think there's, there's more than just the cost saving perspective. I think it may be a solution for some of the other problems we continue to face, which is more so a time save. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know Definitely. what I mean? And, and a, um, an ability to make things a bit more smooth and consistent. In, in Japan, when, so they use a lot of the prefab housing in Japan and they use robots in different parts of production. And when you read about the Japanese and their take on robots they're not saying i'm afraid that the robots are going to replace my job right. they said they're going to help me do my job better right yeah so it's an interesting a different take yeah I, I did a you know a recent look at at some this topic some of the things that i saw in, in some studies that they say the cost can actually be reduced by 10 to 15 percent and your construction time can be reduced by three to eight weeks obviously the product type and complexity of the project yeah. Uh, will have an effect on that, but that's that's pretty huge. That's three considerable. to six, yeah, three to eight weeks, uh, especially on the housing perspective. If you're trying to turn around homes, that's a huge difference. Um, 
it's it's massive and i think the other thing too behind that is it becomes one of those things where you can count on it you know what i mean yeah. from a time perspective and especially when you know our builders their main focus is obviously keeping the home buyers happy mm-hmm. um it's it's not a good thing when they're bouncing dates on them you know i mean think about it ourselves if we we're you know selling a home or whatever the deal is and we have a move-in date or the lease is up or whatever we're planning on moving in you come back and tell me I can't get in for another week. Like that presents yeah. a massive problem. Yeah. So I think emotionally and what is probably one of the biggest purchases of anybody's life, which is highly emotionally draining, you don't want to mess with those types of things. So it may give you a little bit more accountability in that regard. But I mean, and you said, what was the percentage? Eight, six, eight, no. 10 to 15%. Oh, on the 10 cost, to 15%. Yeah, on the cost reduction. I mean, Ali, you may know, but most builders are not trying to hit double digit percentage returns on every single house. So that in of its own is, you know, doubling or tripling could be potentially what they're looking at. Yeah, and what we're seeing is the company that I mentioned earlier is Integra, and they're based here in California. And I've been fortunate enough to chat with their CEO a few different times, and what he said is they're now at, I'd say, over 50% of the top builders in the U.S. are saying, hey, I know that you guys are doing this. Wow. I'm interested. That's that's impressive because yeah. you know the, the most of the things that I've heard along the way, and there's one that's out here that started with it, that, and and we were involved, luckily on the ground floor with um, just the small portions that we do. Um, and I saw it and I was blown away. I mean, tutoring the family, I'm like, this is where we got to go, you yeah. know. And I think to Demetrius's point, you know, originally when this concept came out, everybody you know saw what was produced, like, oh, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible. No. It's like, no, this is just a term. Yeah. Like you need to understand, you know, this is just a term, and an economy car doesn't have to be an ugly car. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. it really doesn't. It can be just economy doesn't mean bad. It just yeah. means smart. You know yeah. what I mean? And um, so mods are. I think there's a lot of ways to do, or I think they flipped it, panelized building or whatever the deal is. But I think it's the way it's got to go because there, there's so many compelling reasons for it. It's not you're trying to solve one issue right now, or we're looking at just one main issue yeah. in the industry. We're looking at multiple reasons for it. And and I like what you said there is like the economy car can yeah. just be smarter. That's, I, I saw yeah. I saw one comparison was uh, actually two typical construction and and modular um was the typical is actually baking cookies uh from scratch Hmm. and your modular was buying the the pre-made and pre-cut cookies that you just throw in the oven and that's more my style yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh but going back uh what you said about the the smarter uh Mm -hmm. smart design for your economy car and that's what this whole concept will take to, to move to the next level is people have to understand to get the benefit out of it is being smarter. You have to have all of your designers, your, your architect, your engineer, your mechanical, electrical, plumbing, um, and you have to have everyone on your build team right. in the room. Right. You can't bring in your marketing right. people, your uh, purchasing people way after the fact it's a mentality shift every yeah everybody yeah. has to be there up front to come up with the design from the beginning and everybody's input is there so that you can work it work it out and and make a smart design and incorporate that into the system as you move forward and that's that's one of the disadvantages is until we understand that people are going to trip over themselves because they won't understand that you can't it's not a flexible system, so you can't make all these changes later on. So, but um, I never thought I would say this. So for our industry that we like to always laugh and say it's so far behind and mm-hmm. it's run by people who aren't trying to rock the boat, yeah. 
we have seen companies are actually being receptive to this. I think people realize there actually is something serious. Yeah. And it sounds to me like, to use the phrase, the C-suite. So the <laughs> CEOs and the CFOs and the COOs that actually have the meetings with the companies that say, hey, no, this is really a viable solution. They seem, once they get the education, like they're willing to change their mindset. Yeah. But then it's kind of filtering it down the whole system of people. Down. Who say? Yeah. I mean, and I think of it, so, uh, you know, she, she's laughing when she says C-suite because the first time I'd ever heard it. And I think Demetrius <laughs> yeah. was on the same like, page. What are you talking about? <laughs> but ultimately, I think what they lo- they look at because they deal with the financing arm of it and everything that goes along and they see the amount of time that they can potentially save and they hear 10 to 15%. Now, yeah. whether or not it's 10 to 15% have no idea, right? And usually when you get into things like this, people like to somewhat inflate the number to make yeah. it look a little bit better. And I hope it's realistic. So they hear that and they're like, you kidding me? They're looking at their bottom line on however many millions or billions of dollars they're doing that year and going 10 to 15 percent like bang right that's huge dollars um so i think what it is though is when we're talking about the mentality shift the answer i get a lot of times when i talk to people about a lot of different topics especially people that were bred in this in this industry which i love well you just can't do that cool (laughs) i have no problem i have no problem with that response i really don't but give me some more context yeah I don't know yeah. why we can't do this. So yeah. if you could help me understand why that is, yeah. I would buy in hook, line, and sinker. But the problem is a lot of people can't answer that question. It's typically we've never done it that way. No. It, you know what I mean? And like it's that. scary. And I think part of it gets into as well, and we've even seen it in our own generation. And, and we we're, um, for, for those of you that are listening, didn't have the benefit of it, but we're talking off the cuff prior to this. And there's people that are that are our age also saying that it won't work. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, those people that are saying it won't work, I don't think know how to use a screw gun, much less, you know, really put these things together. I've been so, in the industry less yeah, than it, five yeah, years. Yeah, <laughs> and I really want a guy, I don't know why he can do it on site, but he can't do it in a factory. And if he can't do it in a factory, why can't a machine do the same thing if you program it properly? So I'm not entirely sure why that is, but we got to get away from that mentality. And even in the companies that I work with, we had that same issue in a trade where it's like, no, this is just how you do it. I understand, but tell me why, when we challenge this, why can't you do it this way? Yeah. And what we build, you know, I, I challenged the team. I said, if we build X, but they're able to put cars together in a factory yeah, exactly. with machines and basically no hands, why can't we do what's in our industry the same way? It yeah. doesn't seem nearly as complex. Help me understand that. Yeah, they don't send your car to your house and then no. you, you start screwing it no, together. No, it's not built and, on site in yeah. your garage and everything else. Yeah. So I think you know, I, I think that's the main thing we got to figure out. How do we tap into that and get enough momentum for those individuals to say this is not a challenge on what you know. This is not to um, this is not to get rid of your position and challenge your thought. But we want those thoughts that you have and that experience you have and apply that to how we make this work yeah. with all that experience that you do have. And I don't think we're there yet. And yeah. that's and that's what we got to get to. And what's quite fun too is if you look at, I don't know if you guys have been on Toyota's website, their worldwide website, but they build homes. So they had the same thought. Toyota said, oh, hey, we can, we can build the cars. So, yeah. Yeah. We can also build homes. And so who knows? We always talk about this industry is ripe for disruption. Yeah. One day, are you going to be buying a Toyota home? Like, which is crazy. And in Japan, they do. A, a funny story about that. And, you know, it just jogged my memory that they do dabble in home design. Is a, a company that I used to work for. We, we worked, um, we did a lot of work in China as well. And we had um, Toyota actually came and they were interested in seeing what we did and did a tour of our office and, you know, looked cool. at uh, some of our work. 
um, and come to find out, they actually, I can't remember if we gave them, uh, sold them a design or what the exact specifics were, but we found out later they basically rolled our design over and did this massive production yeah. of that design over and over again. Um, so it was, it was interesting. Well, to, it's, it's interesting because you're thinking about it, Toyota revolutionized the automobile market, yeah. right? They didn't, they didn't invent it. Yeah, they revolutionized it. Yeah. So, um, look, I'm a Chevy guy. Jim, yeah. love you to death. <laughs> That's all I ever owned. But ultimately, I respect the fact that they came in and looked at it, and they're able because they don't have the knowledge. It's not. It's not so much that they're attached to that product anymore. If they're saying, "Okay, can I find a better way to do this?" Yeah. Now, I'm sure they failed millions of times. They did actually. They failed pretty yeah. heavily when they first got into the automobile market. Yeah. But they were willing to break it down and break it down and break it down and break it down and challenge and challenge and challenge yeah. until it became so efficient. Yep. They literally became the cream of the crop. Yeah. They and created the just in time model. That's it. And so. I and I am such a lover of just in time and how that all works because of how efficient that is. So what, I think you're right. That? Just in time? Yeah. I didn't So literally you're producing so if you look at it from a factory, if Allie orders a car to be at her house on you know the 5th of December, mm-hmm. you're literally producing it. It's rolling off the line, getting in the container, and showing up to her house on the 5th without storing, without doing... You know what I yeah. mean? It's like it's literally like concept to deliver <laughs> like in so many days. And, yeah. you, and you cut out the hand touches yeah. and the movements and the space storage and all these other yeah. kind of things. I mean, that's really... Which makes in sense one of our companies, <laughs> our, In yeah. one of our companies, that's what we're trying to do is just in time... With two, with a two day buffer, only because some of our partners keep pushing on us and doing those types of things, and we and we want to build for a little bit of you know something could happen, but just in time is so efficient and so mechanized, yeah. and it's amazing because when you get into build cycles and schedules and things of that sort, you can start to move things based off of that on what you see forthcoming. You know what I mean? Oh, we've got to ramp up production. We got to run another shift. We've got to do this and that. We got to do whatever it is to be able to hit those dates and the cost savings based off of that are huge. And it, it sounds like it, it makes so much sense when you look at it today because they brought the just in time model to the U S in maybe the sixties, yeah. huh. but they came here and kind of, as Jason mentioned earlier, they looked at what was in place and they said, this doesn't work. Right. Like there, there are inefficiencies here. The old model was you just build them and you keep them in a, you keep them yeah. stored. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, that is so much lost money money yeah <laughs> it's just sitting doing? there and yeah. you're paying yeah. paying rent yeah. to store that thing paying rent then you have the uh, the possibility that something gets damaged yep. you know all these other kind of things that go along with that you know and that's why the just-in-time system is really what people should be striving to do and essentially that is what a builder's doing i mean they really yeah. are setting a date and and building that house to suit that date but there's so many things that can go wrong when you're out in the field doing that yeah. and, well, and moving that to a factory where you're way more controlled. Yeah. I mean, it just it's, makes more it, sense. And it's, a, and it's a labor thing. And I was, you know, I was at an event last night and, you know, I was talking with the, the incoming president of our, of our BIA and what his, you know, what his, uh, uh, his ideas were for the year and what he want to focus on. And a lot of it still has to do with labor shortage. I mean, that's the topic, labor shortage, labor shortage. And as I'm going through some of our, you know, year end with some of our builder partners right now, I mean, everything's a mad dash because we're trying to close so many of these houses and there's not enough, trade power out there to do that it's getting done you know i would argue um how well it's getting done at times it's it's not i should say it's not in the environment or the form that you probably want it Uh, people are operating at too high a level i think too consistently 
Um, but this could help address some of that. You know what I mean? Not all of it. It's not yeah. going to solve all of it, but it could help address some of it. It's it's an interesting concept um, that that does it. It creates this rift in the industry right now. Oh, yeah. um, I'm surprised that there that you said um, that CEO had basically C-suite. experienced C-suite. 50, yeah, fifty yeah. percent um, uh, of builders were entertaining the the idea mm-hmm. um i know of one that that i'm working with right now that's uh looking at doing it for one of our projects but i'm really shocked that it's so high because there's such a rift in how people see this concept and there are some disadvantages and that's because there's so much capital uh in play mm-hmm. people look at these disadvantages or and are turned off so they're kind of waiting for uh, want to see who's going to jump first. Yeah, wait, waiting to see who's going to who's going to jump into this first and and learn from them before right. they jump in and and do it. And I think a lot of times it takes that outside company to do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because they have nothing to lose necessarily and a whole lot to gain. And I mean, there's a lot of money that can be that that needs to be invested. I should mm-hmm. say, you know, from outside markets and stuff right now. So if somebody can prove concept. I think they'd receive all sorts of funding. And it's an outside company that created Europe's number one prefab company so the company that i'm talking about integra yeah they created i think it's called century homes in europe who's the number one provider of prefab he sold it and mm-hmm. he said there's a huge opportunity in the u.s i need to come here so this guy has 20 years of experience plus he's been we've kind of talked about japan he's gone back and forth to japan okay. the world's number one home builder is named sekasui they build homes one at a time and for architects, you don't have to worry about losing your job because you just give them the blueprint and yeah. they feed it into their system and it's done. If you buy a home from them, you sit down with their team and you create your home and it gets built in the factory. There is nothing, none of that spec inventory, this yeah. is what we have, yeah. take it or, lick it or leave it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much a, if you like this house, like let's let's design it for you. And they well, still can provide it at a good price. And I think, and I think one of the things that's interesting, I, I don't know the percentage or how much money goes into it, but the other thing that you know, a lot of our builders deal with is they deal with what are called extras, and they hate that term, right, extras. So when they're in the field, somebody screws up something, does this, and it causes another trade to do this, and so mm-hmm. the other trade's going, i got to get paid to fix this, yeah. and so on and so forth. You can really, I think, eliminate a whole lot of that when it's, you know, when it's factory controlled, you know what I mean? When it's in there, because most of the time what they have doing, at least in the examples that I've seen and I've toured, you know, one individual is trained in several different of these quote unquote trades. You yeah. know what I mean? So the guy that's putting the wall together is also putting the wire in, who's also doing the, the insulation, who's also doing the, the plumbing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Putting those pipes and stuff together. So he's responsible for that side and is literally signing off in a quality controlled area. This is, this is my work. You know what I mean? So I think you can eliminate a lot of that. I don't know what the percentage is. So I don't know if it's a big enough play to really make a dent. I would imagine it is, but I can tell you there's a lot of time lost as far as materials and redoing materials work. labor on site, and, you know, certain trades not being able to perform because somebody else, you know, put something in the wrong spot type of deal. And yeah, that, that same study that I, I was uh, looking at, it claims that you can uh, reduce uh, material consumption by 15 to 20%. I don't disagree with that at all. And because I've actually seen that yeah. occur on, on a factory side of what we do. When you go from, you know, individual hands making decisions and making cuts on site and doing that type of deal to having a machine that you're programming saying, rip off this much, do this and that, or whatever the deal is, yeah. you save a ton of material. And there's and, a lot of programs that'll that'll efficient. I don't know if the right term is efficientize or overly, you know, take efficiency to a whole nother level that you yeah. wouldn't even even have been able to do. 
and we we basically have all the tools to do that um and I, I think architects have generally been pushing modular design for a long time it's finally kind of made sense to the rest of the world and specifically for us right now like we have a a drafting program um it's not new but i don't know if you guys have heard of revit so you know autocad yeah. uh the computer aided drafting program so when you use autocad for example let's say if i'm i'm drawing that bottle i'll draw that bottle looking straight at that bottle from the front then i'll draw that bottle from the left then i'll cut that bottle in half and look down at it uh revit is a program where i'm basically drawing every element of that bottle to recreate that bottle in its three-dimensional form. Um, and and the, I bring that up because it makes sense for modular construction. Um, right now, uh, because of the time constraints that we have for turning around drawings, on a housing side, uh, single-family detached, for example, uh, it doesn't make sense to do Revit because the mindset isn't there yet. You have to crank out drawings really quick, and AutoCAD's a lot easier to do that as opposed to Revit. It has a lot of uh, front-end design work and gotcha. development work to generate that. But again, this is like changing the way we think of things. Yeah. Everybody has to understand that you you got to move to the front of this project and, and spend all that time because you can form that entire bottle and understand every little nook and cranny of how that works. You can see how the wires, the plumbing, yeah. the structural beams, everything works. So there's no conflicts and you have that all right there in front of you. And then when you move that over to the factory, it's all laid out. Everything's they up. they know exactly where things are going to go. This is not going to conflict with that. And you can just basically crank this out a lot faster on the back end. But it does take that commitment to to, well, to spend on the front. I think that's what it is. I mean, it's, it's being willing to tax your brain a little bit, to question yourself on what you're doing, to, to, to go in there and spend that time up front as opposed to saying, you know what, just figuring it, it out later. <laughs> you know what I mean? And what happens is we do it, you know, I do it from the, from the, the cushion of my own office saying, look, I want it built this way. And then I have a team that has to go figure that out. And let's be honest, they're way better at it than I am. <laughs> but ultimately, if you were able to take a hands-on approach with those guys to begin with and say, here's what we want to do conceptually, how do we build this? You know, they can take time out of it, you know, no problem, time and material. You know, I mean, it's just it's just the way that it is. And I wonder if Marriott had any play in kind of helping influence the mindset change, because have you guys seen that Marriott's now building some of their properties with modular housing? I mean, look at look at look at all their resorts and stuff the like that. Hotel? I, I enjoy them. Yeah. It, it, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, all they are is stacked on top of That's each other exactly with it. a different yeah. facade either yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so for them, they said this is going to save us money if we do it. And I wonder if, as a CEO in the home building industry, you see other industries are willing to adopt this and look at their revenue, look at their earnings. They're doing better because of it. So yeah. what's interesting about that is is a thought that I was having, or at least one of the kickbacks I'd heard from some of the builders, is they're saying really the biggest hang-up and the problem that they have with it is actually not their mentality. So not your C-suite. Mm. It's the municipalities. Mm. So yeah, if you look at, if you, if you look at a point. hotel and things like that, I mean, they're gorgeous, right? But they're a big, huge wall of glass and, and structure for the most part yeah. with not a whole lot of appeal to it necessarily, right? So when you drive down a street scene and you've got places, yeah, I probably shouldn't call them out, but let's call them outskirt type cities that are newer up and coming, if you will, that would still be tagged quote unquote affordable. You've got these municipalities that want it to look like Newport Coast. 
And it's like, yo, let's call a timeout here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know how we get to be able to affect them to understand. Yeah. And I think that's a very real example of one of the major hurdles to this type yep. of stuff. Because if you are going to modulize different things, you're going to be limited to a certain degree. We have to understand what they don't like. So then we can try and really, you know, go in. But, they, you know, it's also not the same to say, hey, here's a $7 million custom home that overlooks the ocean. I want, I want our street scene houses to look the same way. Yeah, and, and that also took two and a half years to build. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's just not the same. Yeah, that's a huge problem. Um, you the certainly mu- would know. Yeah, yeah. the muni- municipalities are just not forward-thinking in that way. Part of it is that they don't want to do it because they want things to look a certain way, the Spanish, Tuscan, um, whatever it is. And you can do that with a mod- modular design, but they don't understand it as well. That's the other side of it. it they're not pushing their their staff to to learn all these different concepts and and understand where we can go but w- i'm i'm hoping i'm hoping that they start to understand that there's there's this need and we need to come up with solutions so to be open minded um, send your your staff to different workshops and, and events to to learn all these different things and understand where we can go and be more open minded to you know let some of this stuff happen. Well, and you would hope because I would rather have a modularized home that comes with some kind of stigma than a tiny house. <laughs> I hate those stupid things. Yeah. But they're like, oh, all these young people they want affordability. But solution. but there's a show on HGTV. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, no joke though. That's something I was thinking about. Was yeah. everybody you know tiny house, tiny house, mm-hmm. and and really. It, I'm not going to lie to you. They sit here and say, oh, I really want a tiny house. No, you like the fact that it's 40 grand. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you can still park it on yeah. mom and dad's driveway. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But ultimately, yeah. it's an affordability issue. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think you guys said it earlier. Land's not going to... There's God only made so much land. Yeah. I, I don't care what anybody says. Right? Yeah. So at some point, you become landlocked. So you're going to have to figure out other ways to slice and dice that land yeah. and still make your money out of it. You know what I mean? So are you going to be able to drop affordability to get people in there to buy it and do those types of things? Cause there's still a big gap. There's too many people that aren't buying houses right now. Yeah. And at least, and I know I have a very myopic view as far as the region that I work in, but I know a lot of the associates that work with us and for us and they're not, they're not in housing yet. You know what I mean? They don't own anything yet. And so what does that mean for our economy? If we don't have people, you know, our industry, if we don't have people buying houses, Yeah. I know every builder has some kind of apartment, you know, division at this point, but still the bigger sides on the on the home building side. Yeah. You know? Well, so. and it doesn't even stop it. So we're talking about people aren't even buying houses. It doesn't stop just at our industry. If you're in yeah. any, if you're in retail, if you're in any of those industries that are kind of down the stream, you benefit when people buy homes. That stimulates the economy when you buy a new couch or a yeah. new fridge or all of that. So there's a lot to be said for making solutions for this. Yeah, it's interesting for sure. So I, th- I think we're kind of running up against it today. Um, there's still a ton that I personally want to say about the, the topic, but we can uh, we can we can hold that off to another time and, and wrap this up today. But I really appreciate you guys uh, joining us, listening to the show. Come back and check us out in a couple weeks. Or if you are listening to this and catching up, hit next. We'll see you then. Thanks.
Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.